Hi, I'm Mark Kent. And I'm Jacob Pusey. And you're listening to the Art and Science of Running podcast. If you climb the sea. Welcome back to episode 18 of the Art and Science of Running podcast. We're here with a very special guest, with uh, Matt Fitzgerald, one of the most prolific writers on the sport uh, of, of running, uh, of triathlon, nutrition, um, at least of our generation, if not ever. Um, we we're, we feel very fortunate to to have Matt on. Um, you may recognize some of his books, Iron War, Racing Weight, Diet Colts, Run Faster with Brad Hudson, uh, Brain Training for Runners, How Bad Do You Want It, Run, The Mind-Body um, Method of Running by Feel, 80-20 Running, Life is a Marathon. And then today we're going to talk about a new book that is yet to be released called Running the Dream. Uh, so... <laughs> just just the, that list of books alone and and that's only a handful of the books that you've written um we we feel very fortunate to, to have someone with such vast knowledge and experience joining us today so welcome matt all right thank you i appreciate that introduction my my head is swelling <laughs> <laughs> well um you know it, a lot of times people say that people start podcasts because they like to hear themselves talk. And I'd like to turn that on its head um, and say that I we created a podcast in part because we like to hear other people talk. And um, uh-huh. and so we wanted to talk with people like you who know more than we do on certain subjects and so that we can refer other people to to the knowledge that, that you have. Um, we're... I, I, to be honest, I'm kind of fanboying out over here because um, as we're in our my little library, um, I have these and other books <laughs> on my shelves. And so um, we feel quite honored that you join us today. So thank you. Well, I, I appreciate that. You know, honestly, I, I get a special tickle when uh, really, really fast athletes uh, find me credible. Like, you know, I think a lot of people have that imposter syndrome going on and I, I'm just like everyone else, I guess, in that regard. So, I mean, believe me, I, I, I like praise wherever it comes from. But when fast people say nice things about my work, I, it, it does give me a special tickle. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, Malk and I actually put on a retreat once a year. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and one of the, I actually have a slide or a couple of slides where it's kind of like, okay, and then everything that we weren't able to cover uh, in this discussion about nutrition or everything we weren't able to cover uh, in this topic on brain draining or on this topic about just training philosophy, you can probably find it in, in one of these books. And so I have like pictures of your books on different slides that I share with people in the notes that we send out to them and things like that. And, and with the athletes that I coach, um, it's, it's almost like the foundational knowledge. Like, okay, if you read 80, 20 running and, uh, the mind body method of running by feel, 
I'll work with you <laughs> until yeah. you do that preliminary work. Um, yeah. There's just way too much uh, to discuss or to, to learn, to catch up so that we're on the same page. So thank you for doing that uh, work. It, it really has been helpful, not only for me as an athlete, but for countless athletes that, that I coach and that I, I know there are plenty out there that, that we don't coach. So. Yeah, well, we should maybe set up a little commission arrangement if you're selling so many of my books. <laughs> I don't know how many I'm selling, but I certainly plug for you. So thank you. I was, I was just thinking, actually, like even um, in my own personal background, because I I used to work in other sports before running, and um, the first I heard actually the name Matt Fitzgerald was through Racing Weight, and um, it's actually this is just a curious story, uh, but it was actually from a pretty famous climber good friend of mine called Dave McLeod who's a who's a climber and a climbing coach in Scotland <laughs> and um uh yeah he, he was promoting like racing weight he was like if you just want a book that kind of tells you the nuts and bolts of what you need to know um you know to 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 be good at pursuing your sport and he, in the in the field of nutrition and um and diet he was he was like just check out this book and yeah. that was the first I heard so that wasn't even in running that was that like transcended completely different sports so yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that book alone has has been very helpful. And then and then what you did with diet cults, um, not turning the paradigm on its head, but just kind of exploring it through an anthropological lens. Um, as someone with a background in anthropology, I, I loved that as well. So, um, and that's part of why we wanted to have you on for um, this discussion today, uh, because you know, as as a podcast called the art and science of running <laughs> we we love how you've blended your your knowledge of the the hard sciences um with the the qualitative work that you do as well in in both your your memoir and narrative um writing um and then also this ethnographic piece that uh will be released soon called running the dream um can you tell us a little bit about this book and, and why you wrote it yeah so um it uh, this book documents um, a, a magical, fantastical experience I had two summers ago when I spent 13 weeks uh, living, training, and competing with uh, the Northern Arizona Elite Professional Running Team, uh, based in in Flagstaff. And I really just I cooked up the idea as kind of just a, a personal fantasy. I mean, I think a lot of runners can, of all ability levels, can relate to, uh, you know, just the the lure, the allure of taking their running all the way. Uh, like, what if I could just check out of my job, you know, pa put pause on my family for a, a period of time and just see how good I could be if I did everything the way the, the pros do it. And, you know, I just happened to have the freedom to, to go for it um, and reached out to the coach of NAZ Elite, Ben Rosario, um, who's just the kind of guy who gets it and he got it and uh, very generously invited me out there, promised to treat me just like, um, you know, the, the real pros who, who comprised the team, it were literally half my age and twice my talent. Um, so I was in way out of my depth, but it was just a, an incredible experience, but also I, I, I learned a ton and, it, and the idea was, yes, it was, it was self-indulgent, uh, but also I very much wanted to share the experience um, so that others can live it vicariously through me and also take away a lot of the, the same lessons I learned and apply them to their own running. Nice. Yeah, I, uh, 
I, th- I think you came into, f- or you, you arrived in Flagstaff kind of as I was, <laughs> as I was leaving Flagstaff. Um, my, my younger brother, Tommy, uh, still lives there. And, um, and so it was fun to, to read about some of your adventures on, uh, on your blog and, and also just see some of the things that you tweeted, um, because it is, it is a tight knit community. And, um, I, I, I believe the last long run I went on in Flagstaff was actually with your roommate, Matt Yano and, and my brother. <laughs> that was, that was the last run I did. Um, uh, and then I moved up to Canada. Um, so it was, it was fun to see the work you were doing. And, and I've just been curious ever since just, you know, I wonder what this is going to turn into. And, and, and obviously, I, I mean, just in terms of the results, it, um, <laughs> it, it sounds like it was an exciting experience for you and, and I assume for each member of the team as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I can't speak for the team, but I, I hope, <laughs> I hope, yeah, I, it was, I worried about that, you know, uh, you know, fitting in, um, you know, I, there was only so much I could do to, to be one of the gang. Cause I was so much older, so much slower. Um, they knew I was writing about them, you know what I mean? So yeah, uh, it took some time for them to stop censoring themselves and kind of forget I was uh, a journalist. But yeah, speaking for myself, it, it was just, just um, you know, I, it was like you know a nonstop pinch me moment for for thirteen weeks, pretty much. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I that I admire about that team specifically, and and um, that they're known for is to is for their transparency, and so I. I appreciate uh, that Ben was willing to let you in and, and, you know, have that journalistic perspective to, so that they could be an open book, uh, literally an open book. They, they don't have any training secrets. And uh, I, I think that that's helped advance the sport worldwide, but particularly in the U S and um, one thing that I like about that team is that, you know, none of them uh, were, <laughs> were blue chip athletes in high school or, or college. Um, and they, they've had this opportunity to be, um, rather than blue chip, uh, blue collar type runners, uh, Hoka's certainly come in and helped out quite a bit, but I think it's cool that you've been able to write about and share that experience with, with some of the names that, that at least didn't start out as household names through high school and through the college ranks and, um, and to tell their stories because I, I would assume that <laughs> their stories will will resonate more with <laughs> with your readers than than the few kids who grow up, you know, as stars, uh, as phenoms from the very beginning. So I'm I'm really looking forward to reading it. So. Yeah, you know, when I when I first landed there, I didn't exactly know. I mean, that's part of the reason you run the experiment, right? I didn't know what kind of book was gonna going to come out of it. Um, I I went back and forth initially, like, is this a book about my experience and, you know, the, the young pros around me are characters in the story, or is it a book about, you know, what it's like to be a pro? And I, I just sort of let the thing uh, unfold organically, but um, mostly, uh, you, you know, you are seeing that the reader is seeing things through my eyes, but this, you know, you do get um, the backstory of not all, but a number of the athletes, those I, you know, spent the most time with. Um, and each story is really, I mean, you could do a book, honestly, about each one of their, they're so different, you know, there's just a spectrum of personalities and backgrounds. Um, and, you know, 
it's such a great group because, you know, Ben Rosario, you know, we talked about this when I was there. He puts a premium on, you know, talent's great, you know, but he puts a premium on, you know, team chemistry and individual character. So, you know, I really liked and admired uh, each individual member of the team. And I, you know, I hope if the book is successful in doing one of the things I, I want it to do, um, you know, readers will have the same reaction I did when, as they get to know these individuals, they'll see what, you know, interesting people they really are. So what, uh, as, as you prepared to, to go out to Flagstaff, um, what kind of level were you at in, in your running? And did you do any kind of uh, training beforehand to sort of uh, build into what you expected there to be there? Or was it just kind of parachute in and then and then kind of like join in the sessions and, and, and catch up as much as you could? Like, did you do some preparation before going? Yeah, I mean, the way it worked out was um, it was strange, but uh, oddly perfect, I guess. Um, so in... You know, in t- so this whole thing happened in, in 2017. In 2016, I was having a, a bit of a renaissance, uh, I guess, as a runner. I was I was 45 years old, and I'd already gone through that period of like grieving, like <laughs> go, you know, coming over the hill and th- believing I had set my last PR. And um, it was it, it's tough for a lot of athletes, and it actually was was quite tough for me. And I was just trying to find other ways to keep it exciting. And so I was looking for adventures um, and trying to not worry about uh, being competitive as much. But, you know, I, I, I get injured a lot. And, and 2016 was just a year where I was relatively healthy. And, you know, as you guys, as athletes yourselves, you, you know, you know, consistency and health uh, can produce miracles. And I just started to feel like I was um, turning back the clock a little bit. And so I cooked up a couple of ideas that that year. I was I was writing a memoir about uh, my journey as a runner and sort of the the transformative power of chasing endurance. Um, and one thing I wanted to do for that was travel around the country, running marathons and meeting people and sharing my story and collecting their stories. Um, and then right on the heels, so that was going to require that I run eight marathons in eight weeks, you know, all around the country, not racing them, um, except for the last one, <laughs> uh, but just doing them. But still, that's a lot for an injury prone runner. Um, and then around the same idea, I came up with this idea for it to be, as I call it, a fake pro runner. Um, and my thinking was, well, you know, I'm not getting any younger. And, you know, I have these two ideas that are going to require, they're going to be big physical challenges for a guy my age. But you know, I thought, should I do one next year and one the year after? And ultimately, I decided, no, I'm just going to squeeze them both into another uh, one year because I didn't want to get another year older before trying either one of them. So in the spring, I did the eight marathons in eight weeks um, and survived. <laughs> and you know, I and I got pretty fit. You know, I I I didn't do any fast running, but um, the last marathon of the eight was actually the it was the fastest marathon I had run in, in many years. Um, so I had this incredible base. Um, so I got home after that cross country trip in early May and I was scheduled to head out to Flagstaff six weeks later in early July. Uh, that doesn't add up anyway, that, um, I had several weeks back home and then Ben Rosario took over my 
coaching at that point. So he knew I had this good base, but I, I hadn't done anything faster than marathon pace um, in a long time. So he wanted to sort of, you know, guide my training and, and set me up uh, for success. Um, and that, that, that really worked out ideally. Okay. So that was, um, if you look back to when you kind of joined the group in, in flag, then kind of your the main kind of strength that you brought with you was that kind of aerobic base. Is that right? That's kind of, that was kind of your, like, uh, your, uh, your kind of strong point. Yes, exactly. I mean, it was funny, you know, when you run a marathon every Sunday or whatever it was, um, your whole perception of time changes. I remember when I was running like the fifth or it was like the sixth one, um, I kind of went into this trance and I was just lost in thought. And I remember like passing the, the 18 mile sign and thinking, how the heck did I get here? <laughs> you know, um, like, a, like a marathon was just nothing by, by the end of it. I just, it just would pass by in the blink of an eye. And so, yeah, that's just sort of a measure of how, you know, I, I was, I did, I just had a, a great base. I was not a well-rounded runner, uh, but um, yeah, I was, it was just, it was good. It was a good foundation for the pro style training that I was immersed in for those 13 weeks. So, so you went in aerobically fit and, uh, and possibly even with a different, uh, mindset than you'd had in the past in, in terms of like <laughs> what what your body is capable of handling at least volume wise perhaps but prior to that i mean you've been coaching for decades and writing about the sport for decades and so it's not like running or even training theory or or different workouts and stimuli are are new to you what was new to you what was different about what you saw uh without giving it all away <laughs> uh, yeah. at, uh, with the NAZ group, uh, aside from the altitude, like what, what do you feel is different about the way that they train versus the way that you had trained before, or even the way that you had coached athletes to train? Yeah, I, I was really struck by how much of it was like how much novelty I was exposed to. And it was, it was kind of humbling in that regard because I, I did consider myself experienced and knowledgeable, but, um, you know, you know, I, I had, you know, been a very serious amateur for a long time, but an amateur <laughs> and, you know, you know, we all kind of cut corners. And so, you know, I didn't do like a lot of drilling, um, you know, my strength workouts, I pretty much did the same thing every time I, I went to the gym, you know, I wasn't stupid enough to go and bench press, you know, I was doing functional stuff for runners, but, um, you know, you know, my workouts, maybe I, I was in a, a little bit of a, a rut there too. So just, you know, I, I wasn't investing in a, a lot of the little ancillary stuff. Like I would only get a massage when I was desperate, like when it was already too late, <laughs> that type of thing. So, uh, same thing with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so, so with that, you know, you know, I would just, you know, I was all in. So when, when I was there, I did everything that the pros did, it, you know, including eventually afternoon naps. Um, so there, there was all that. Um, but, but even on the training side, um, you know, I, I, I learned a lot and, and, you know, I picked Ben's brain the, the whole time I was there, you know, just a, a good example, just a very specific example, just on a nuts and bolts level, how I trained, you know, I had run 40 marathons, give or take before. And I should mention the, uh, 
the culmination of the the fake pro runner thing was the Chicago Marathon, what I, which I actually ran as an elite. Uh, I got uh, jo- the agent for the team, Josh Cox, pulled some strings and got me an elite bib. Um, yeah, that was were, pretty awesome. Were you wearing an NAZ elite singlet as well? Were you? Yeah, all right. All right. <laughs> yeah, it was, the, it, was, it was the full experience, like the whole VIP hookup, soup to nuts. I was on TV. Um, <laughs> I had bottles at the elite drink uh, fluid stations, whatever. Nice. Um, but getting back to the training, like uh, one specific thing that was just different is part of Ben's marathon training formula was kind of like two long runs every week. Um, and, you know, your, your standard, you know, weekend, however many miles, and then something kind of medium long, maybe three days before. So it's funny. I, Part of this is because I got injured halfway through and I had I had to kind of reset. But um, the entire time I was the th- entire thirteen weeks I was in flag, I only did one run exceeding twenty miles. But mm-hmm. I did maybe twenty runs of between fourteen and nineteen miles, and mm-hmm. and it was like you know two a week, and and a lot of them were workouts, you know. So it would be you know something that looked very much like tempo mixed with speed, you know, with a lot of different parts and you add it all up and it came to 17, 18, 19 miles of, of work. And there, so there was a lot of that. And then some of the more bread and butter type of long runs. So that's something I took home with me and have passed on to, um, other athletes. You know, it's, it can be tough for people to find the time to do 12, 14 miles on a Wednesday. Um, but it's super valuable to kind of do, uh, you know, a, a long run and a medium long run, um, either one of which or both of which have some quality work in them, uh, pretty much every week. That that's one thing that I that I really appreciate about Ben um, is that, uh, you know, he ran for the Hansons. Uh, he and I actually met because we were both working for Greg McMillan at the time in in Flagstaff. So uh, there's a lot of overlap. Um, but one thing that I think we both learned from Greg was that. <laughs> to be a better coach, you need to know the other systems and philosophies out there because when someone comes to you and they say, Hey, I've I've been, I'm in this rut. I've hit this plateau. And if you don't know where they're coming from, you don't understand how to, how to undo or fix some of the, maybe the common errors or, or some of the the things that may lead to that staleness or whatever. Um, But that's one thing that I've always admired about Ben is that, you know, he doesn't necessarily, he doesn't claim to, um, to have coined or, or produced these different systems. I, I know he takes some, I, I believe that that idea is like a Fitzinger idea, um, potentially. Um, I've, I've heard of the medium long, long run, but then I know he gets a lot from the Hansons and he gets some from what Greg did with his elite group there that he was helping with. And so I, I appreciate people that, <laughs> they don't have to be the experts, but, but, but can rely on other experts to, to inform their decisions. And, and that's one thing that I really like about NAZ elite is that they, they share their story and uh, we get to learn from it. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I was struck by that as well. I, um, while I was there, I, um, I worked on the nutrition side with, uh, Oscar, you can drop, uh, like a very well-known, uh, sports nutrition researcher. Um, and I, I, uh, he's based in the UK mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I'd had some back and forth with him in the past. And I thought he would be great to come up with a fueling plan for me for Chicago. Um, 
But for him to do what he wanted to do with me, it actually bled over into the training a little bit. Like he needed to meet me to do certain things in the context of workouts. Okay. And I was nervous about approaching Ben with that because that's his turf, you know? Um, so, but he was totally fine with it, you know? And that, that's just, that is the way he is. It's like, Hey, if I need to make, you know, a, a couple adjustments to your training to make it, you know, mesh with what Oscar is doing with the nutrition, uh, uh, so be it, you know, he knew who he was, he respected his expertise and, uh, that was great. You know, Ben, he's really good and he gets results and he doesn't need to pound his own chest and, and scrap for the credit. You know, if he, if he does his job, even if it's collaborative, uh, to a certain degree, uh, I'm sure he knows that whatever credit's due to him is going to trickle its way back to him. Yeah. Sense, yeah, I'm interested by the um, by the by you kind of dropping into the group and the dynamic thing because you know sometimes people go and they do these kind of like documentary things and they go undercover and like uh, kind of Sasha Baron Cohen style, you know, like no one knows who it is. And um, but clearly you dropped in and everyone would have known who you were. So um, I mean, was that how easy or difficult was that? Like, did you have people? in the group sort of saying to you, Hey Matt, can you give me some advice on this? You've written a book on this. Like did that kind of thing happen or? No. And you know, I was, uh, you know, this is a book filled with self deprecating humor, um, which, I mean, I didn't have to go out of my way to, <laughs> to come up with the material. Um, but one of the things I, I, I was struck by, and I sort of was aware of this already is that, um, you know, present company accepted by and large elite athletes don't really read my books. Um, it's, you know, my, my market, thank goodness. Cause there's a lot more of them is more of the, the recreational athletes. Um, and so, uh, you know, yes, they knew who I was, but only a small handful of the folks on the team, uh, had actually read much of anything of mine, Matt, Matt Yano, I actually lived in Matt's house during that, that period, as he, I think you alluded to, mm-hmm. he had my racing weight cookbook, but he loves to cook. He didn't have any other books. Yeah. <laughs> He's um, a good cook. Craig, Lutz, <laughs> Craig Lutz's father apparently was a fan and he asked for a signed copy of one of my books at, at some point, but that was, a, that was about it. Uh, so it was good. Like it, you know, nobody really asked me, for, it, it was, com- it was complete completely flipped around like I was picking their brains and some of them you know some of them are coaches themselves and and so they were actually they were also kind of co-coaching me helping Ben out a little bit um because you know, at the very least I was in a very different environment yeah um so right from the beginning I remember the very first workout I, I did there was like a steady state run and I did the warm-up with you know I couldn't keep up with the 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 real pros and the workout itself. But during the warm up, they were giving me a tour of the loop we were going to be running on and giving me tips on how to run it, like how to pace it. Um, and that was like, that, that set the tone for the whole rest of the experience where it was, they were really, even though they were much younger than, than me and in really honestly less experienced in, in a certain respect, they, they were uh, mentoring me versus the other way around. That, that must've been an interesting dynamic. Um, I, I know that, that on a not terribly related, but somewhat related. I part of the reason I was back in Flagstaff was because I was going back to grad school after having 
worked um, <laughs> in another career for quite a while. And uh, uh, maybe you're a lot more humble than I, but it was frustrating for me when I had a professor who was younger than I. Um, <laughs> Kind of, kind of, not just mentoring me, but kind of uh, um, condescendingly uh, trying to shift my focus to whatever they wanted me to be focusing on, and and that was a um, it was a flip for me because I had been in that position. Like I, I went back to get the credentials so I could do so I could teach more adults more full time rather than just on the side. Um, so it was a it was definitely a humbling experience to have people younger than I or even even my contemporaries um, uh, mentor me. But um, from my experience with uh, at least the athletes that, um, that I ran with um, in, in Flagstaff, especially in that group, um, there does have, there does tend to be a, a, a bit of humility there amongst the group. I mean, some of them, they, they do the, they do the online trash talk and things like that with one another, but, um, yeah. but um, uh I felt welcomed there when I was an outsider and, and, um, immediately welcomed. Um, so I just thinking for like, for the people, uh, the guys listening to this, um, I wonder if you, uh, Matt, whether you're able to kind of like paint a bit of a picture for us, like, and put a kind of video image in people's minds, like, um, cause we're talking about flag stuff. We're talking about like just over what, just over 2000 meters elevation or about uh, yeah, 7,000 feet in town. Yeah. yeah something like so. that. And, um, and we're talking about a small town really dedicated to running, like really a running Mecca. I mean, how, how did it work in terms of the group? Like, what, what was the size of the group and what were the kind of uh, different levels of running ability within the group? And, and then how did the how was the group living and how were people kind of spread out and living together or not living together? Right. Um, so there were about, about a dozen uh, members of the team at that time. Uh, almost all of them were full-time in, in Flagstaff. Um, but I think some people sort of, when they think of like a, an enclave of runners like this, they picture them like all living in a dorm together. Like that wasn't it. You know, they all, almost all of them lived on their own. Uh, Matt Yano, the guy I lived with had a very nice spacious house. He was, you know, one of the more, I guess, established runners on the team, but you know, some uh, were just fresh out of college and living, uh, you know, not, you know, one of the cool things actually Ben Rosario did, uh, when I was there, they were negotiating, the team was negotiating their new uh, sponsorship contract with Hoka One One at that time. He let me sit in on, on their meetings. So, and he was, uh, I had, I was exposed to some pretty, you know, very sensitive information that like they would have killed me if I'd made public. So I knew like what these folks were paid and it, you know, by and large, it just wasn't a lot. So, you know, you had fresh out of college folks like uh, Futsum Zaina Selassie and, and, the uh, Craig Lutz, who you know were living pretty humbly, um, you know some had roommates, um, and then so the you know the span of ages was you know, twenty four to thirty four. Um, they did they were little they had more guys than gals at that point, but Ben was working uh, had plans to sort of make it fifty fifty, and has since actually I think they have more women than men now, um, and so that you know just one one head coach Ben. Um, some, uh, a partnership with an outfit called hypo two sport in town that provided like strength training and chiropractic and other services. Um, and, 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 and there were two other members who were one, uh, Scott Smith split time between Los Angeles and Flagstaff. And then one, uh, Martin Hayer, 
was in med school in uh, Philadelphia and, and left the team shortly thereafter. I actually never even I met him. Um, so they would meet up for some kind of run just about every single morning, uh, meet up for a strength workout once a week as a team, meet, meet up for drills and strides and plyometrics one afternoon per week. Um, not everyone would always be doing the same thing. Cause, um, you know, uh, Aaron Braun was the only member of the team training for the Chicago marathon. So I did a lot of stuff with him because I was now, well, not with him, <laughs> but you know what I mean? We were on the same schedule, but you know, they all have different race schedules. So sometimes a group would head down to Camp Verde, which is a town like 30 miles to the South at lower elevation to do like a faster workout while another group might be on Lake Mary road doing something else. But you know, a ton of interaction. Most afternoons, athletes would be on their own to just do their second run. Um, and then there would be, you know, some some socializing. Uh, you know, a lot of the members of the team are friends. They're, you know, little mini cliques, you know, with members who just, you know, form um, uh, friendships. Uh, two members of the team were a married couple. Um, I think there were three in total members of the team who were parents uh, who had uh, young kids. Um, so, yeah, that was that was the setup yeah yeah and that's that's the challenge uh from a from an anthropological perspective the uh is I, I know it's outdated but um you know in the in the classical sense you're supposed to think like a native you're supposed to go in as an outsider and then give the insider perspective to the rest of the outsiders and so how did you aside from being a runner and aside from uh being an expert <laughs> in the in the field um how did you navigate that going in as an, as an outsider, um, to gain that insider knowledge? Like did, um, did you, were there, were there instances where you felt like either your age or your speed or, or, or the fact that, like you said, maybe some of them hadn't even read your books. Um, was that, uh, was that challenging to, um, to just immerse yourself in, in a, in a subculture? You know, it, it really wasn't. Um, and I think it was because, um, you know, now I'm speaking for the athletes, but I think they saw how earnest I was about the experience. You know, it meant a lot to me. Um, it was, they, they saw, I remember on the very first run I did with the team. So not the first workout I, I described earlier, but the very first run, which was just an easy run. Um, it was at a place called Walnut Canyon, which is just, in the, you know, there's just like, uh, well, I was there for close to two weeks before I ran in the same location twice. Like there's just so many awesome places to run in Flagstaff, but the very first, which is part of their regular repertoire was a place called Walnut Canyon. I ran with the group and I remember Matt Yano, uh, before we set out saying, gosh, I'm so sick of Walnut Canyon. And I'm looking around like this place is 10 times more awesome <laughs> than the best place I have to run in back in California. It's like, what are you complaining about? Um, but like the whole time I was there, I think the team could see just how happy I was to be there. And don't get me wrong. These people are all passionate runners. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, they're dedicating so much to it, but you can get a little bit jaded, you know, it's a grind and there's a ton of pressure. Uh, and, and so I think they saw my enthusiasm and, and my, even though I was slow and old, like my passion for running, and my dreams, like, were they could relate to, 
And I think it was like a good combination. Like I wasn't in any way threatening to them, <laughs> but they're like, they, I could see very, from, from very early on, they saw how much this meant to me and they wanted me to succeed. And I think that was my entree. Um, so it led to things like, you know, just a couple of weeks in the first long run I did with the team. Uh, one of the members, Ben Bruce had this abdominal strain that ended up actually, he had to pull the plug on his training that summer. But he was kind of in half training at that point, and he just he just volunteered to pace me through the cut down portion. So for me, the hard portion of, of the workout I've been given, and that was his idea. You know, like here was like a pro just kind of playing water boy to an old man, uh, just because he. Uh, are you there? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Sorry. My my computer just did a funny thing. Um, so it worked out really well in that regard. I mean, I didn't become super chummy, I guess, with anyone. The, the, the lifelong friends I made on the team were Ben and some of the other folks there. Um, but, you know, uh, I had good relationships with everyone. And I, you know, I, I think, you know, they were kind of glad I was there and we're, we're getting a kick out of it. And, uh, you know, they, they were, they were into it. You know, they, they wouldn't have wanted me to stay forever. But <laughs> it worked out pretty well in that regard. It's actually been fun to see Ben Bruce uh, transition from about that time period to more of a coach yep. role. And he's yep. a pacemaker for his wife, Steph, for Stephanie and, and the other ladies. Um, and I mean, it's not like he hasn't had a long career. He's he's made national championships for, I think it was like 17 or 18 years in, in some event or another. I mean, he's, he's a quite an athlete, especially coming from a, he was a high school golfer. So he, he transitioned to the steeplechase uh, quite well. Uh, and uh, yeah, it just an all around nice guy. One, one of the many people that I um, think of fondly when I think of Flagstaff and, and of that group particularly. So um, that's cool that you had that experience with him as well. From, from the from the coaching perspective, and obviously like um, you know tapping into your experience of coaching as well, um, and trying to get a picture of it for the for the guys listening, like um, is Ben kind of out there physically? Like is he uh, is he rocking up to the workouts physically, or like riding a bike, or in a car, or um, is it kind of left up to the individual um, subgroups to just like meet up themselves, organize themselves? Uh, like yeah, how does that work? Like you know, maybe may explain a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, Ben was very hands-on, you know, at that point, you know, so now in, in Ben Bruce, he has, um, an assistant coach. Then there was, it was just him. Um, uh, and so he was very hands-on in terms of like, you know, measuring out distances with his, uh, his wheel, um, placing cones. Like he was pretty much pretty OCD about that stuff. It was kind of funny <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah. Catching splits, uh, handing out bottles, but he also, he, there was no way he could do it all alone. Um, so there were a couple, uh, they have a couple summer interns, uh, that help out with that kind of stuff every year. So they had, they had two interns while I was there. And then, um, Ben would also just like his wife, Jen, uh, assists with the team. So she would be there sometimes for some of the, you know, the more complex, uh, workouts, especially the ones done on Lake Mary road, which is this kind of hallowed proving ground in, in, in for Flagstaff runners. Um, if like, cause we would be spread all over the place, you know, like, uh, you know, Kellen Taylor and Stephanie Bruce, who were training for New York city, they did everything together. So they, they would be one group. 
I was always pretty much, you know, <laughs> on my own, but, but Ben would sometimes, uh, uh, find someone to pace me or, you know, I found people like Sarah Crouch, one of the, the local pros there. We found that our paces kind of lined up and, and we hit it off. So we would do some stuff together, but for those kind of workouts, there would be like multiple vehicles kind of leapfrogging and make sure, making sure that everyone got their, their fluids, everyone got their splits and whatever else. Um, and yeah, it was like, so it was, you know, it, it, it's not quite the same as maybe what a, you know, an NFL football team's practice would look like, but it, it was a professional in, environment, very different from, I mean, it was, it was one of the hardest things to leave behind when I went home. It's like, who's going to hand me my bottles now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, in, in that line of thinking, what, what are some things that, that you would hope that, uh, that more runners might glean from your experience that you had? Um, like what, what could, what could those of us who aren't part of a, a group like that or have the, the coach or, or even teammates to train with um, on a regular basis, what are some things that uh, we can do that we can control um, that we might incorporate into our training? Um, and, and then what are the things that, you know, may not, <laughs> may not be worth that extra, additional time and effort to, um, to prioritize. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, you know, it's funny. Uh, you know, that was a big question for me because I, uh, you know, I wanted, you know, this book is completely narrative. I just tell the story, but there is like a how to, you know, practical element kind of woven into it. So there's plenty in there that, you know, that runners can take away and apply, but it's just not called out. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, I, I, you know, I thought about it a lot while I was there and afterwards, like how much of this formula can be recreated, you know, for folks who are just on their own. And, and I had to go and do that myself because I came off of it, you know, you know, I actually had a great race at the Chicago marathon. I, I set a PR years after I thought I was, I was too old to ever set a PR at that distance. And so like the experiment was a, resounding success and i came off it like just on a high i'm like i gotta keep this going somehow so i actually you know i, I ran that experiment too like all right what can i do well the altitude's gone you know um you know but <clears throat> so you know what i found was you know i actually went online and bought one of ben's uh training plans that he sells on uh final surge like the official naz yeah. elite advanced marathon plan or whatever well it was pretty much the same plan he had me on so you you can do that you know like you can you can sort of be indirectly coached by ben rosario anywhere on on earth so i had that um i also came back with just sort of a no stone unturned mentality um and so that got me to be like a little less lazy when it came to you know i actually started going to uh uh, I found a good local massage therapist in my area and started going every week to, to keep that going. Um, like if I needed help with something, I, w I wouldn't just be like, ah, you know, I'm just an amateur. Uh, I, you know, I would, I would, I would find a resource and even at some personal inconvenience, I would incorporate it. I ended up doing my first Ironman triathlon in like 17 years, uh, a couple springs later. Um, and I, I, I did, I had exactly that, um, attitude. So, um, you know, I, I hired a swim coach, um, rather than just trying to figure it out for myself or by YouTube. 
videos. Um, you know, I, I kept up with all, you know, I was constantly on the verge of breaking down and actually did break down one time uh, in Flagstaff. So I was, I was in with the physical therapists and chiropractors all the time. And I picked up, you know, just a bunch of, uh, you know, corrective exercises as they call them. And I kept up with all that stuff, you know, to this day, 20 minutes, it's the last thing I do before I go to bed every night, like just 20 minutes of stuff that keeps my um, aging body together. That that's something that pretty much anyone can do on their own. So yeah, there's, there's some of it, you know, the, the bottle support, Every now and then I actually pay my wife to do that. <laughs> but you can only go to that well so many times. <laughs> nice. No, that's that's great to hear. Um so if you were to if you were to tease it out, I know it's it's hard to tease out the variables, but um you said you did run a you, you did run a PR. Do you think it was the altitude? Do you think it was having training partners? Do you think it was just that nothing else on the on the table or on the plate it was just kind of all in um especially that many years later how why do you think you were able to run a pr at chicago after spending yeah. that time? i think i think it was a lot i i think it was a lot of different things um um and and it really was, you know, because I like I lost nine pounds there. Um, you know, I'm someone who, yeah, hey, I'm the guy who wrote Raising Weight, right? So I've never, <laughs> I never really let myself go. And I showed up, so I'm, I'm pretty tall. I'm six one, and and I showed up at 150 pounds, which I thought forever was my racing weight. I raced Chicago at 141 wow. pounds, um, and. And it's not like I, I went there. I went there sort of maybe hoping I could lose, a, you know, drop a two or three pounds, but I didn't expect to lose that much. And part of it was just, uh, you know, maybe the altitude. Part of it was I did, you know, that was another thing. I had, I had, you know, we can look at our own diets through rose-colored glasses. And so, especially living with Matt Yano, who leaves, who eats like a saint. Um, and so like, he was in front of me every day, and I'm like, well. I've got to raise the bar here. So, you know, I just like, you know, I, I cut some of the slack in my diet and that helped. Um, um, so yeah, racing nine pounds lighter alone was, was a factor, but it's interesting. I, I had a conversation about this with your brother on one of the bagel runs okay. there. Cause it, this was fairly early on. It was just a couple, maybe three weeks in and he was asking me how it was going. And I was saying you know, just how good I felt, you know, cause I I'd just come off like an, 80 mile week or 85 mile week, uh, which was a lot for me. And I, I just said, you know, I've never run this much and felt this good doing it. And I'm old. And, and I thought, you know, that, you know, this may sound kind of out there, but I just feel like a big part of it is just how happy I am. Like how like, I love like, having all these cool people around me and how beautiful the environment is and just how lucky I feel to be here. And, um, yeah, Tommy like totally bought into that theory, and he told me a story about an experience he had in uh, Costa Rica um, that kind of taught him the same lesson. So I think those intangibles you can't discount. They were they were a big factor yeah. too. Yeah, um, that's 
I, I didn't realize you had lost nine pounds. And I, I, I know that Matt is strict with his diet, but he's also, like you said, a really good cook. And his neighbor, Erin Stroud, is a really good cook, uh, baker, actually. I mean, she, she makes she makes food that isn't um, going to keep the pounds off. So um, I, <laughs> I, I was thinking it might be hard to keep the pounds off. And there are good breweries in town and really good restaurants and things. So I... Uh, and pizza cletta, yeah. So I mean, there's there's so much <laughs> that could um, induce con- the consumption of of uh, carbs uh, in that town. So that's impressive. So on the cool. uh, like quickly on the subject of altitude as well. I mean, so what, you live normally in like close to sea level, California. Is that right? Yeah. So, that, so right. did you know like going to altitude that you would that you would be a positive responder to that, or was it just an unknown? To sort of go there and see how how you reacted. It, it was an unknown, big unknown. I, I had never uh, run more than three or four days consecutively at that type of altitude. So I uh, had had no clue. But it was clear very early on. Um, one of the things that helped me out, actually, is that, um, interestingly, for a long time before this experiment, I was only running every other day. So I would do a ton of cross training. I would train twice a day. But I felt like I was so old and beat up. I couldn't run every day. But when I was planning for that um, cross-country trip, I knew I was going to be like cross-training was going to be very difficult. So I experimented with going back to everyday running and my body just fell apart. And it wasn't just injuries. It was just like, I just, it was like I had overtraining syndrome. And around the same time, Ben Rosario um, advised me to start taking an iron supplement, like sort of to prepare for going up to altitude. Um, and as soon as I went on that supplement, I rebounded. Uh, and I, I think just going from every other day running to every day running took me over the edge with my iron levels. So that, that right there, I mean, it was good, even if I had no intention of going anywhere to realize I was flirting with a deficiency, but that helped set me up for success going up to 7,000 feet and then Ben, this is not his first rodeo. He he takes sea level athletes and brings them up to altitude mm-hmm. all the time. So he handled me with kid gloves. Like I was like a caged animal. I, I wasn't allowed to run the first day. I think I ran four miles easy the second day, six miles easy the third day. Um, and I'd been running 70, 75 mile weeks coming into it. I was going crazy, but he just told me, trust me. So as soon as I like eased into full training there, in no time, I was matching my sea level splits in workouts, and I just I just went on from there, and it was like, well, yeah. I, I well, actually it was it was such a smooth process that I started to doubt whether I was actually going to get any benefit <laughs> it really- from it. I'm like, like I'm, I'm, running, I'm running so fast up here, I can't imagine running faster back at, at sea level. But that was just you know, it's interesting, yeah. Um, because, um, yeah. like, in the time that I've spent working out in, in, in East Africa, particularly in Kenya, like, it's it's interesting in those in the big towns out there. I mean, Eten obviously is the major major town. Seeing people come from sea level, coming from other parts of the world, and then they have kind of a tight time scale. They might be just there for like two to four weeks, mm-hmm. and then they've got like a week of just getting through the jet lag and just changing air and everything else, um, and then they're either just getting smashed by the altitude, which is around about two thousand four hundred meters. Um, or you're getting some people who just it works for them, and then um, they, they really get the effect, and then use it when they when they go to race. And it's it's interesting seeing the sort of um, the attrition and the, the kind of collateral damage that happens with yeah. pe- with people that 
for whom altitude doesn't doesn't really work or at least a a short time altitude doesn't work and yeah yeah it's, it sounds like you really had it kind of um with a bit of support you really had it wired yeah yeah i i appreciate you mentioning um ben uh and his recommendation to to increase your iron uptake um that's something that um i've heard and done and advised for others um but uh, this isn't a general thing for everyone, but I, I do deal with a lot of people that want to go run the rim to rim to rim or, or while they're going to run the rim to rim to rim, they want to hit the bagel run and, and they want to go and hang with <laughs> some of the people we're talking about. And, um, you know, they may not be at that level or they may not be from, from altitude and they, uh, some people, you know, they can just transition right into it. But I, I know I was a very slow adapter and it was really hard for me. I, <laughs> I uh-huh. I got sidelined pretty quick when I first moved there because I was so excited and um, <laughs> yeah. I, I have people yeah. to run with and there's a, there's like a different group that I can run with on a daily basis and um so I increased my volume and I but it was like oh it's fine because it's on dirt roads and it's not a big deal and um and it, that both buried me but I I also felt like just fatigue wise like I could be sleeping more and I still wasn't absorbing the training because I probably wasn't taking enough iron and things like that. So it, it took me longer than some to, to acclimate to the, to the altitude. And I, I don't, so. I'd imagine Matt as well, when in the period that you were there, you probably saw obviously people coming in and out of the town and maybe, maybe doing a few weeks at a time and, and then disappearing. And, uh, and I'm, so I'm guessing, yeah, you probably saw sort of people more or less benefiting um, from that, from the altitude and, from, and, and the training environment. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mentioned Sarah Crouch earlier. Um, she and her husband, Michael, actually moved to Flagstaff um, early during my stint there. And so, uh, you know, and I, I did some training with her and, and she was going through, uh, you know, that adjustment, you know, never having, I don't think she'd set foot in Flagstaff before yeah. moving there. Um, and and she did not, it was part of the reason I was able to train with her was that she wasn't doing well. <laughs> um, but so she, she is funny. She, she, she's still there and she has since flourished, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, there's a whole, there's really is a whole spectrum. Some people, um, some people just haven't been with any Z elite very long. Like they, they show up all excited. Um, it's a pretty much a disaster from the get go and they flee back to low elevation. So you, it would have been terrible for me. Cause I mean, I mean, the stakes are very high for a pro, but like I was only going to be there for 13 weeks and I was trying to get a yeah. book out of it. So if I had fallen apart, I wouldn't have had much of a story. <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm, I'm definitely interested in, um, uh, in, in kind of le- in, and for the benefit of the, of the listeners as well, in learning a bit about what, um, some of the, some of the reasons, some of the factors for, for this particular group, um, you know, being successful and, and in some other places with some other groups in other parts of the world I've seen, I've seen that there's been a sort of a camaraderie between the people in the group and, and the coach has actually sort of been quite selective in, in who they've allowed to come into the group. Um, and I'm wondering about um, if you're able even just to sort of like um, uh, explain for us, maybe even one or two points where you think that really the, that allowed the group to be successful, that were, that were sort of key factors or key things and, and how Ben, as the coach, was able to sort of be in control of some of that. I, I mean, I don't know if he, he actually filtered um, people coming in and did some kind of vetting process with people coming in. Is, 
Was that something he did? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We, we talked about that uh, just because I was, I was curious about it. Um, and, um, and yeah, he explained that, you know, he, he, he puts a tremendous emphasis on the, the vetting process and he's, you know, there's, you know, again, you know, as I mentioned, the, the, there's a wide range of personalities on the team, but I did, you know, they, you know, there was about a, like I said, about a dozen athletes there. So that's enough people to start noticing commonalities. And one that I was struck by was, it sounds silly to say, but it was just simple maturity. Like they were mature people with, um, I was just impressed by their judgment uh, again and again and again, just on from the smallest decisions they made to the biggest. Um, yeah, I, I remember um, uh, one in one of those epic workouts on Lake Mary Road. Uh, Scott Fobble bailed out of it, um, and you know, for for most of the athletes I coach, like one bad workout utterly destroys their confidence, and it's it's su- it's to such an extreme that they won't bail out of a workout, even if it's you know the the right thing to do because it, they they can't handle what it will do to their their confidence and. And so Scott bailed out and my instinctive reaction was uh, to console him. I was like, oh, that's terrible. You know, what happened? And he said, oh, just my sinuses are flaring up. And I figured, you know what? This could be either a one-day thing or a one-week thing. I'd rather it be a one-day thing. So I, I pulled out. And I thought, man, that is really just smart, <laughs> you know? And bailing out sounds like weakness, but like, I mean, Scott Fobble is one tough, you know what? Um, and so like none of these people has anything to prove on the toughness side, they, but they are just as smart as they are tough. And that's what I saw time and time again, is that, um, they just, they were mature and they exercised good judgment. And that's why people who had maybe, you know, you know, second tier talent as high school and college runners were at the very top of the sport 10 years later as professionals, because yeah, talent, you got to have it, but, um, other things matter just as much, you know, things uh, above the neck and, and these, these folks yeah. have them. But for, for our listeners who may not know who Scott Fobble is, one, you should follow him. And uh, two, he, he was recently the top American at Boston uh, with a 209, I believe was his uh, most recent uh, big race. And, and he, he, along with many of his other teammates, will be running at the U.S. Olympic trials, uh, marathon trials coming up soon at the end of February. And, uh, so how does it feel to, to be teammates with and, and former roommates with some potential Olympians, Matt? Well, I mean, it, you know, it's like, I've, um, you know, that's the thing. I, I was a fan of, you know, a number of these runners before I even showed up there. I mean, you know, I'm a fan of the sport. Um, I'm not just, I mean, I know, I know a lot of amateur runners, they, they couldn't name three <laughs> pros. Right. Um, well, I am a fan. I'm the kind of guy who like every now and then will set his alarm for, you know, 2 a.m. to get up to watch the London Marathon streamed uh, on the Internet live. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's, it's really cool. And it's one of the, you know, just as a as a running journalist, it's one of the things I love about my job is that you know, I get to know some of the top athletes personally. And and so it makes it like it it takes fandom to another level when you've actually hung out with some of the people who are vying for a spot in the Olympics. So, 
yeah, so I, I'll actually be there in Atlanta for the trials, and I'm sure I'll be uh, screaming my head off in support of the NAZ Elite nice. crew. Um, I, you did mention the maturity, and, and one thing I've noticed um, about uh, Ben's selection process is that he he tends to recruit from some of the same schools <laughs> uh, with similar training philosophies. Um, and so for the younger listeners out there who might be looking for, or, or even the parents of younger <laughs> runners uh, who might be looking for schools that tend to produce, um, uh, th- this is a generalization, but so, so maybe more mature uh, runners, but also that discipline that, that at least translates well to the NAZ elite philosophy of training in life. Um, you know, he has a number of guys from the University of Portland, um, some guys from uh, Northern Arizona University. Uh, he's recruited from the University of Colorado. Uh, from Brigham Young University, all of which are pretty um, academically rigorous schools and have uh, some strict uh, higher volume uh, training, um, threshold-based type training or strength training that it's sometimes called. Um, so I, it seems like he he, he draws from uh, even collegiate programs that that he feels would transition well to to the marathon, but not just not just physiologically, but also kind of, uh, uh, lifestyle wise, uh, is that's been my observation, but, um, yeah. Hope that's helpful to some listeners. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of it, you know, you, you might not think this, but you know, like any other profession, um, there, there's networking that occurs, build relationships and, you know, Scott Fobble's a good example. One of the reasons he ended up on uh, the team was that um, Shalane Flanagan's husband, Steve, like lobbied for him, actually emailed Ben and said, like, hey, there's this guy at uh, Portland who I think has a lot of potential. Um, and and because Ben respected Steve, he took that a nomination, if you want to call it that, seriously. Um, so, you know, it's just because it's professional sports doesn't mean it's all that different from any other line of business. Like relationships and networking are definitely yeah. a part of it. Um, on that subject, I'm going to make a plug for Scott and Ben's book inside a marathon um, that they, it, it kind of shows a, a, also a, an athlete coach relationship um, from that program um, that, that they co-authored to be transparent uh, about that process of the build up to, to New York Um and I don't think it's available on Amazon yet, but it's, it is available if you want to look for it there. But, um, for all, uh, fans of the sport, <laughs> we definitely recommend, um, checking out Matt's book, running the dream. Um, what's the full title of the book, Matt? Do you mind? Um, so yeah, that's the title. And then the boy, the subtitle is a mouthful. I think it's, uh, one summer living, training, and racing with a team of world class runners <laughs> half my age. But it's 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 a great title because it you know yeah. it, it says it says quite a bit. Um, and and honestly, if you if you go to any of your local bookstores or um, or Amazon, um, I I have to be careful because every time you write a book, it's just a, by default I'm going to buy it and I want to know what it is. Um, 
I don't have to be careful, but you know, I just have to make sure that my wife's not around when I, when, when I see that the book comes out, Is it, I'm, I'm going to, it will be in, in the mail and at our doorstep within two days uh, is usually how it works. So kind of um, just sort of interest because we're kind of getting towards our, uh, the end of our time um, uh, having on the podcast here. What's um, cause you clearly kind of touched a whole bunch of different areas in the past and um, you know, you've written books on uh on, on uh, coaching and, and, and training methods, um, books on diet and nutrition, um, definitely some books that have gone into the psychological realm. Um, really interesting, the book um, uh, um, about you know, psychology around how, how bad do you want it. Um, what's uh, for you, like in, over the next six months, 12 months, like um, what direction will you be going in, in the future? Um, if, do you have any future projects, any, any things um, happening Will you be at the Olympics, for example, in Tokyo or anything like that? I will not. Um, but yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got my shtick, and I'm just going to play it out uh, in different ways. Like I just, I let my passions and my curiosity uh, lead me. So, um, you know, I'm still an athlete. I mentioned I did my first Ironman in 17 years. Uh, it was this past spring. I'm running uh, uh, my first 100K trail ultramarathon in a, 10 days, but who's counting? Um, is, and so, is, you know, uh, and then on the, on the, on the writing side, um, I've got a book. Um, I don't want to look too far past running the dream, but I've got a book called The Comeback Quotient coming out in 2021, which is sort of a sequel to How Bad Do You Want It? Uh, so it's, uh, I've got more to say on, uh, the psychology of endurance performance. So that, that that's what that yeah. And about. the, uh, and the kind of, uh, the ultra running is that, is that a test or is, is there something bigger going to happen there? You're going to become an, become an ultra runner and, and, and get into that, dive into that. Well, you know, I, uh, it just, I, I, I don't know. It, it, honestly, like it's not my strength. Like I, I've done a couple of ultras. Um, uh, yeah, fifty miles is as far as I've gone, and that just about killed me. Honestly, I, I it's whatever. Like I'm good up to the marathon, and I shouldn't really be running ultras. But I think that's part of the reason I do want to run, run ultras. And there's so much energy there now, and and I love running on trails. I unfortunately I live in an environment where there just aren't many. Um, so yeah, I'm just trying to transition into, um, uh, to, I want running to take me places, uh, that it hasn't yet. Uh, so this just feels right. That's what I do always. That's what my goals are based on. Whatever gets me out of the bed in the morning, excited for my next workout. So, uh, wish me luck at the black K. Oh, wow. yeah. K. That's a, that's a fun one. Um, I will wish you luck and, uh, and also encourage you to, um, yeah, be careful with the heat. I know you've probably been told that, but I, um, I led that race through about 55 K and then blacked out and <laughs> straddled a, a saguaro cactus and, um, and walked the last 45 K. That's amazing. That's my exact rate plan. I think I, yeah, it, it was pretty much that. Yeah. So, um, that was the longest my brother had moved. He was coming off of an injury and, uh, I looked at him like just covered with blood and like looked at him and he hadn't run in 18 months. And I was like, he was in flip flops. So I was like, dude, 
I got to finish this thing. Um, but I can't without you. So he was like crumpling up potato chips in a Ziploc bag and like feeding me like a mama bird as we were like walking, um, very slowly <laughs> for a really long time to get to the finish. So, wow. um, don't do what I did. Um, and, but it's hard to like cool, like to keep cool. Cause it is a gradual downhill the, for at least the first. Break. So, um, yeah. <laughs> run smart. Uh, yeah. Great. I, I wasn't sure I could be any more frightened, uh, but I am. Slightly no, that was, that was me. Um, I, I grew up uh, just <laughs> totally idolizing the the guy that you have on the cover of uh, How Bad Do You Want It um, as a as a rural Oregonian. So um, I, I didn't know. I still don't know how to run any other way than try to run like pre. Hundred K is not the best time to do that exactly. um, when you're under trained and coming <laughs> back from injury and you don't know what you're doing. So yeah, I've since uh, changed my ways. I guess so. It's helped me become coach for sure so right on yeah Learning the hard way yeah well um thank you again we really appreciate you you taking the time to um to spend with us um like we said at the beginning we we honestly probably could talk all day or have you on for yeah. at least 27 episodes or however many books you've written um on, on all sorts of topics but um we we really appreciate it and we recommend that um our listeners uh, just, just Google you. And, and if you've written an article or a book on this, on any subject that they're interested in, they should, they should read it. Um, and it will, yeah. I feel like it will advance them as runners and as students of the sport. Yeah. Sure. Even coaches as well. I mean, there's, there's, uh, I even have some coaches I cross paths with and, and they'll quote things like, uh, you know, the 80, 20 running book and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, anyone getting into coaching or in the early days of coaching for sure. Uh, yeah. Definitely essential reading. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for what you do, Matt. We really Thank appreciate you it. Yeah. Yeah, this has been fun. Yeah. Let's Let's do it. Have fun in Arizona. We'll be we'll be following the race um, from a distance. So yeah. All right. Take care. All right. Appreciate yeah. that. Bye. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Art and Science of Running podcast. Malcolm and I would like to invite you to join us this spring at the Peak Run Performance Rocky Mountain Running Retreat from April 30th to May 3rd. That's four days with other runners from around the world running in a beautiful setting and discussing all things running. In addition to that, Malk will be performing gait assessments uh, throughout the weekend and will provide you some feedback about your gait. Each participant will have the opportunity to wear some of the wearable technologies that Malk has developed and that we've discussed on this show. And with that, he'll be able to provide you with some feedback about some things that you may want to change or adjust or things you want to be aware of to address in training. We'll certainly discuss training, strength training, injury prevention, nutrition, and anything else that you... <laughs> Uh, have questions about throughout the weekend as it relates to running. This will be based at a lodge in the Rocky Mountains. The lodge has some lodging options for camp participants, and those are quite inexpensive relative to other um, settings. Um, you don't have to stay at the lodge. You can stay somewhere in town. Uh, there are plenty of hotels and condos and, and other 
places that you could stay, but um, there will be a limited number of people that will be able to stay in the cabin. Um, and this is an opportunity to either bring some a partner or, or a training group out and, and enjoy the trails together, um, stay together, but it's also an opportunity to meet other people from around the world. This is only for adults. It is co-ed, um, but it's, it's for runners of all ambitions and abilities, um, whether you're a beginner or you're an Olympian. Uh, if you've got an open mind and you want to run in a beautiful place with other like-minded people, this is for you. Uh, we welcome you. For listening to this podcast, we want to offer you 10% off. So if you use discount code ASR10, that's ASR10, you can um, get 10% off your registration of this retreat. It will fill up. We want to keep the numbers small so that we can give the attention to each participant um, that signs up. So we hope to see you this spring at the Peak Run Performance Rocky Mountain Running Retreat. So once again, you can um, you can listen to the Art and Science of Running podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, or essentially anywhere else where you can find podcasts. Uh, we'd really appreciate it if you would listen, rate, and review the show. Let us know how we're doing. Let your friends know uh, if a particular episode might interest them. Um, please subscribe. And uh, this will help others hear about what uh, we're trying to share as, as a free resource to the world. Um, and if you want to follow us on social media, we're on Facebook as Art and Science of Running. Um, there's, a, there's a page and a group. So if you'd like to be part of the interacting with the group, there's an Art and Science of Running group. It's, it's open to the public. And that's where we'll, we get some of these questions that we discuss um, in addition to just the work that we do day-to-day -day with athletes. Also, we're on Instagram and on Twitter. So if you just do a search for the Art and Science of Running, um, and then our website is artsciencerun.com. And uh, we're, we feel like there's a need for these t conversations amongst ourselves, but also um, with some of the other experts that we're able to bring in. And so we welcome your questions and hope that these are helping. I don't know where I'm going I'm going
down for a walk. 